Oh, Father, would you impress upon us today the reality of the birth of Christ and that it was clearly and purely a demonstration of your great love for lost sinners like us and that you made a way of salvation for us. And Father, would you just this first Sunday of December, as we begin this Advent celebration and remind ourselves of the coming of Christ, would you just refresh us and renew us and encourage us with the reminder that we are loved by you, our Heavenly Father, and that you gave us the greatest gift we could ever want or need. Father, make the scriptures um, useful to us today in a special way. As we review a familiar story, would you please just um, refresh us through it and bring it to life for us, that we would worship in awe this Christmas season, that you would love us so much, you would send your only son. It's in his name that we pray, Lord. Amen. And thank you. You may be seated. Well, I have to tell you that um, I enter the pulpit today with uh, some level of pride. Um, I know we're not supposed to be proud, but I'm really proud of myself today. I have changed my views on Christmas. I have, I have decided to embrace Christmas. So don't put Scrooges on my desk or anything like that. I'm against all that stuff. I am all about Christmas, and I, I have to tell you that it all became real to me when I went shopping all day Friday with Janet, Christmas shopping, <laughs> all day. Do you see why I'm proud of myself today? I just think I did so well. We went to, I believe, six different stores. My favorite was Tractor Supply, but we weren't allowed to be there very long. Just a very brief encounter there. I did struggle with my attitude the most at the Bonton. We were there a long time. We were Christmas shopping for other people, but somehow we were in the ladies' dressing department for a long, long time. I did finally seek out management and, and file a grievance on why there was no sitting space for men with, like, big screen TV with the outdoor channel on it or something, but... And then we went to Michael's. Have you ever been to Michael's? It is the most remarkable store. I don't know how they fit so much stuff in that store. And it's everything you need for Christmas. Everything you need for Christmas. Except it's not. You know, um, I did have a good day with my wife shopping. I am working on my attitude about Christmas but I don't know, I particularly want to challenge us as a church and even myself in my own heart as we enter the Christmas season that it would be all about Jesus. I know we have traditions and I know that, you know, we go shopping and, and a lot of that is what gives us the warm, fuzzy feeling that it's Christmas and if, especially if we have a candle that smells like like apple pie or something, when it burns, it just makes me feel like Christmas. You know, um, that's really not what it's about. And it is so easy for us to be pressed in to some mold of the world. And so this morning, as we enter the month of December and as we are busy about the Christmas season, I just want to begin with a, a reminder of what all we have in Christ at Christmas time. They don't have this at Michael's. They don't have this at the Bonton. But it's right here in the Word of God. And really, 
If you have Jesus, that's all you really need for Christmas. Do you know that? That's all you really need. And may the Lord help us to really live that out at a better level. Um, I invite you to Luke chapter 1 this morning. It is a familiar story. I don't have notes for you this morning, so if you want to jot some notes in the outline part, that's up to you, or just listen and follow along. Um, We're in Luke chapter 1, and we want to remind ourselves of uh, this passage of Scripture where Mary receives word that she has received grace from the Lord in a special way. She is the one who has been chosen to be the mother of our Lord Jesus. What a most remarkable story it is. I want to also remind us, though, that the Christmas story really isn't about Mary. And it's not about Joseph. And it's not about shepherds. And it's not about wise men. They're all players in the story, aren't they? But it's really all about Jesus. And and in this passage of Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, what I want us to do is I want us to see Christ in the Christmas story in a special way. I want us to see four uh, most remarkable truths about Jesus Christ that ultimately should impact our lives and impact our worship this Christmas as we remind ourselves of what a great Lord Jesus it is who was born in a manger through Mary and over in under Joseph's watch. Let's read our text. It's Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to begin with. It's going to begin with the phrase, in the sixth month. Later in the story, it's going to tell you that it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. It's a marking of time. You do recall that Luke begins in chapter 1 with that just um, another most remarkable birth of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were aged. They were beyond childbearing years. And God gives them a baby. And you remember who that baby is, right? John the baptizer, John the Baptist. And he is six months ahead of our Lord because when Mary receives word that she's going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit to be the chosen one to bring Messiah into the world, Elizabeth is already six months pregnant. And remember, John came with that special ministry to announce as a forerunner and as a type of Elijah, one who would proclaim as a prophet uh, to the world to repent and that salvation was at hand. Let's read Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. By the way, let me interrupt myself one more time. You know, in the Bible, there's only two angels that are given names for us. One is Gabriel. Who's the other? Michael. And you know, when Michael is mentioned, he's always the archangel, right? He is like has a sword in his hand. Michael is the one who comes and he does battle. Right? And he rescues God's people and he pushes back the forces of darkness. Gabriel is always used as a messenger of the Lord. It's not named in Matthew chapter 1, but I take it that Gabriel is also the angel who appeared before Matthew, or excuse me, Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. Remember that Luke has Mary's account and Matthew has Joseph's account of the birth of our Lord as we refresh and remind ourselves of these familiar themes this Christmas season. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. So God is the initiator of salvation. To a city in Galilee, it really wasn't a city, it was a small town. Uh, they didn't have a good word for small town. They used the word city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, the angel, came to her, Mary, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Uh, 
but she was greatly troubled the saying at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. You see the greeting, it was the word cheris, grace. You have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I imagine it was a little bit similar to even like, remember that phrase from way back in Genesis 6, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here's the middle of a world that's living life at a fast pace, and there you are walking along trying to please the Lord, and and then the Lord speaks to Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God had a special plan, a special place, a special work to do. Mary realizes this, I think, almost instantaneously. Uh, This is a special word from the Lord. I I have some special grace. Remember that, that Mary, remember in the story of it all, that Mary is just a humble girl from the village who's betrothed to Joseph, a man probably 10 years older than she. She's probably a young teenager. I feel confident that she knew the Old Testament stories and prophecies of, of Messiah to come. Remember that this is, the, this is the end of 400 silent years and God hasn't spoken. And now an angel comes and says, this is the time and you are the chosen one. You are the vessel that God is going to use to give birth to his son. Is it any wonder that, that Mary just marveled and wondered what a fine young girl she was, but she also needed a savior. She needed, she was not deity. Don't get confused about who Mary is. She was a chosen girl by God for a special task, this special grace that God would give her. And the virgin's name was Mary, verse 28. And he came to her saying, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what this greeting was, might be. What is this about? What, I don't quite understand. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. And so we know she was at the least startled. And and frightened, that's often, remember the shepherds and other occurrences where angels appear to people, it startles them. Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. There's the word cherish, the grace. You have received a grace from God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So the angel is giving her specific instruction. Remember that she's hearing this for the very first time. We're hearing it for like the thousandth time. This is brand new to her. You're going to have a baby. All right. And he will be great. What kind of word is this? It will be a great baby. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. (laughs) Wow. What kind of baby is this? Oh, I think Mary almost immediately began to process and understand. This is nothing other than the, the arrival of Messiah. I don't think she understood the ramifications. She certainly didn't understand the process because she says in verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? It was not a statement of doubt that it was going to happen. It was a statement of inquiry about the process of how it would happen. How will this be? I I need to kind of want to know what's going to happen to me here. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. What an odd response. I mean, think about it. The first time she's ever heard this, it's coming out of the clear blue sky. You're going to have a baby and the baby is going to be impregnated and placed in you by the Holy Spirit. Wow. 
And he will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Elizabeth can have a baby and so can you. And Mary said, and this isn't just the most remarkable response. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Is that an incredible testimony of a young girl? She hears the word of the Lord. She understands the will of the Lord. And she says, I surrender. I am your servant. Here I am. Wow. It is such a great attitude to emulate. And there are many lessons to learn from Mary and from Joseph and from other characters in the Christmas story. But I want us to see Christ in the passage I want us to be reminded of our wonderful Lord Jesus, the greatest gift that anyone could ever have. I want us to be careful to keep him at the forefront and the center of our worship this Christmas. We're going to sing about him. We're going to hear about him. We're going to celebrate him, but often in such a distracted manner. So this Sunday, uh, let's remind ourselves of four realities in the Christmas story about Jesus that really should transform our lives. Four realities about Christ that we learn from the announcement of his birth that really should transform our lives. The first thing I want you to see, I want you to see in this announcement the humility of Christ. The humility of Christ. I mean, as I referenced, we know the story so well and we sort of forget that this is the second member of the Godhead. Jesus is. He's the second member of the Godhead. He has eternally existed with the Father. He is equal in essence with the Father. He was never created. He is God. He is the great I am. He is the creator of the world. The Bible is clear that the second member of the Godhead is the one who was involved with the Father and the Holy Spirit in speaking the universe into existence. And now the second member of the Godhead is going to to take on this new role of, get this, fetus. Fetus. You see, I take it that the only thing miraculous about this birth is the conception Okay, so Mary asks, how will this be? All the information we have is that the Holy Spirit will do this. I I don't know for sure if Mary knew exactly the moment. Uh, Jim Shupi will tell you the answer to that question after church. Possibly she did. It says the Holy Spirit, the idea is an overshadowing or come upon you. Could it be that she had a sense of the very moment when the Holy Spirit, in a a most miraculous way, planted seed and it united with her egg? And from then on, I take it that it was 100% a a normal biological process of gestation. What is most remarkable is to think that this is the second member of the Godhead in the womb of a little girl. You talk about humility? Humility? But what does that remind us of? 
It reminds us of the kenosis passage in Philippians chapter 2. Let's turn there. In Philippians chapter 2, don't we have, from the Apostle Paul's instruction to the Philippian believers, a great statement that reminds us of this great act of humility, but where it leads to his exaltation. So we have the, the second member of the Godhead, the master of the universe, God himself, now taking on flesh. And I take it that if an ultrasound machine were available, you could take a picture of the unborn baby Jesus there in the womb. And it was really the second member of the Godhead. All God and yet human, ensconced in humanity. All human. Let's just begin in Philippians chapter 2 at verse 1. We'll read through verse 11. It's a little bit of an extended passage. Really good verses to remind ourselves of as Paul uses this humility of Christ as a standard or an example for us. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, verse 2, Philippians 2, complete, complete my joy or make my joy full, the Apostle Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Okay, he's talking about the unity of the body of Christ. And now the hard part. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Well, that's a challenge, isn't it? Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here it is. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but he released himself, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and becoming a fetus in Mary's womb, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's why he was born. And ultimately, you see the second member of the Godhead, King Jesus, allowing himself to be crucified and murdered by Roman soldiers. What a remarkable standard of humility to which we are called to live. Now, it doesn't stop there. Notice that because of his obedience... I'm not sure how all this works. This is God's sovereign plan of the ages. And the role of the second member of the Godhead was to, to leave the presence of heaven and to enter the womb and to take on this servant role and to live for 33 years on earth at just the right time, Galatians 4, 4 said, that, the, that God planned that he would become the sin bearer, the ultimate lamb, the final sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And as a result of that, therefore, verse 9, because of all of this and his humility, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on him the name that is above every name. So that at what name? At the name of, say it, Jesus. There's the name of all names, people. 
At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. I'm not sure I got what we just read. But what a remarkable thing it is. Back to Luke chapter 1. You might mark Philippians 2. We will reference it at least if we have time. We'll turn there one more time at the end. But as we enter the Christmas season, and as we remind ourselves of the Christmas story, don't you think that one aspect of our worship should be to be awed at the humility of the second member of the Godhead as he becomes a fetus to carry out the will of God? To go to the cross, to be our sin bearer. The humility of Christ is so real in the passage. Secondly, I want you to see the identity of Christ in this passage. The identity of Christ. Notice what it says. She's greatly troubled, verse 29, and uh, wonders what in the world she's hearing. What kind of greeting is this? What kind of message am I receiving here? The angel calms her and quiets her in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This is what's going to happen, verse 31. You will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name, say it with me, Jesus. There's that name above all names, Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean to us? What is the significance of this name? Well, we have in the very identity of Jesus the reality of who he is. And why he comes to be born, this baby, to grow up, to go to the cross. Let's do something, though, first. Let's remind ourselves that this is almost identical of two other passages of Scripture. This, this identifying of the baby as Jesus. The first that we want to think about is in Matthew chapter 1. And it is Joseph's account where the angel will come to Joseph here. And notice what he says here. Um, Joseph found out that uh, before they had come together, it says up in uh, verse 19, 18 and 19, before they had come together, that is, they had had no physical union, that she was found to be with child. Verse 19, and Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to shame her publicly. He resolved to divorce her quietly. It took a legal transaction to, to break the betrothal, the engagement period where they were not living as husband and wife. It was actually very much designed to be a testing time to prove that she wasn't with child. It was to show that they had not been together inappropriately before the wedding, the official marriage consummation. Verse 20. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord, I take it to be uh, the angel Gabriel doesn't say of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You know, you're just like, wow. how does Joseph process this? It's such limited revelation here. And she will bear a son and you, Joseph, will make sure that you call his name, say it with me, Jesus. 
for he will save his people from their sins. There it is. That is essentially the definition of the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And then the third passage that reads very similarly is Isaiah 7, verse 14, and it's quoted for us here, so we don't turn there right now. Verse 22, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name. And it sounds very similar, doesn't it? The way the angel announced it to Mary and the way it's stated in Luke and Matthew and the virgin will conceive and bear a son and you should call his name Jesus. But this time it says, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That's what we've sung about this morning. So Jesus is Emmanuel. He is the second member of the Godhead who's humbled himself and has now come to put on flesh, to be with us. That's what Emmanuel means. Look what it says, parenthetically. My Bible has parentheses, which means God with us. God with us. It is God in human form. Let's take just a minute and look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. We're going to turn just a second here. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Take a look at that verse. Colossians 2, 9. Look what it says. Colossians 2, 9. For in Him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What a statement. In him, that's Christ. In him, the entire fullness, nothing lacking. Okay, the entire fullness of deity dwells in him bodily or in the flesh. That's exactly what the angel is saying to Matthew in Matthew 121. Behold, the virgin will conceive. He will bear a son. You will call his name Emmanuel. It will be God in the flesh. Wow. And so we have here, in essence, the very identity of who Jesus is. He is God in the flesh. Not only do we have his identity here, but we have the purpose of his mission. And in the purpose of his mission, we have, in the defining of his name, in fact, we have the purpose of his mission. Um, Let's just remind ourselves, and we're back in Luke chapter 1, if you want to make your way back there. Um, But in Luke chapter, uh, as we turn back to Luke chapter 1, let me remind you of, of the name Jesus, what it means. Okay, his name shall be Jesus. And in Matthew, he said, for he will save his people from their sins. Listen, Jesus is the Greek or New Testament form of the Hebrew Old Testament form, Joshua. And that's a a derivative of the word Yahweh, Joshua. Yahweh saves is what it means. Jehovah saves. You will name him Jesus For he will save his people from their sin. That's what God does. He saves people from their sin. Listen, the most important thing that you can get out of this Christmas is that a Savior was sent. Jehovah sent his own self, in essence. Yahweh became flesh to save sinners. That's what the story of the New Testament is. Isn't it what Peter preached in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 4, right? For there is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. That name is Jesus. Jesus saves. That's why the gospel hymn, the old gospel hymn, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Great hymn, great gospel song. Yahweh, Jehovah saves. 
Matthew 1.21, for he will save his people from their sin. Um, his, in his name, we have the very purpose of his mission on earth. The word became flesh, John said in John 1.4, and dwelt among us. The word becomes incarnate flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And that leads us to our third concept that we want to get out of this story today. And that is, we want to see the deity of Christ in this announcement. The deity of Christ. Okay, so in verse 32, notice in verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb. The angel is Gabriel is telling Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's his identity, the one who saves. Okay? And he will be great. It'll be great. Sounds like Donald Trump announcement. And it'll be great. Whatever, it'll be great, man. Whatever it is. Don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Well, this is just think about Mary hearing this for the very first time. And this baby that you're going to have, it will be awesome. It will be great. In a way that surpasses all else. He will be great. What we don't get out of the English translation, what Mary would have gotten out of what the angel had told to her, reveals the fact that Mary would have understand that when he said, this baby will be great, notice he continues then, and he will be called the son of the most high, she understood immediately why he would be called great. Son of the most high, because she would have recognized a familiar name for God that is used almost 30 times in the Old Testament. She would have known the story of Abraham rescuing Lot in Genesis chapter 14, where the king of Salem names God El Elyon, the God Most High. He's the highest God. He's the God Most High. And in fact, it's interesting that he uses that phrase um, in the passage... Um, he will be called holy. Where is it? Doesn't it say he will be son of the highest? Uh, the Holy Spirit. What, where am I here? Yeah, the son of the most. I'm looking past it. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. All right. And, and, he, and, and this phrase is El Elyon. It's a name for God. All right. The, I, the word El is God. Elion is the highest God. So when Mary heard this, she would have understood that his great, he was being equated with El Elion. Oh, there it is in verse 35 that I was looking for. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of El Elion will overshadow you. The power of the most high God will overshadow you. So he has just told her, your baby is going to be El Elion and El Elion's power is going to overshadow you. She understood immediately what he was talking about. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is in Mark chapter 5, and I reference it probably more than any other story um, for illustrations and different times. And it's Mark chapter 5. It's the story of the crazy man that lived in the tombs, the crazy man at Gadaria that had the legion of demons that got cast out into the pigs that jumped off the cliff that drowned. Remember that story? And Jesus spoke to them. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 7, it's, it was striking to me to think about this, that and when Jesus, verse 6 of Mark 5, and when he saw Jesus, this is the crazy man, filled with a legion of demons who, who cut himself and lived among dead bones up in the, 
in the tombs and was a horrible disgrace to his community. And he was a broken picture of humanity at its worst. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice. And this would have been the demons with him and crying out, crying out with a loud voice. He said, Mark 5, 7, what have you to do with me, Jesus? Look what it says. Son of El Elyon, son of the most high God. The demons knew exactly what he now. Back to Luke one. Let's just remind ourselves that in this, the mindset of of the average Israelite and those who knew their Old Testament and understood, they would have in this um, mindset of their culture. Is what I'm trying to say. That when you say the son of, you are talking about the same in essence. You are talking about a a replica of what the father is, the son is. He will be, he will be the son of El Elyon. Janet and I were in an office on Thursday afternoon doing some business. And we were sitting still while we were meeting with this individual. And I I perked up my head and my ears and I asked the guy we were with, I said, and I could hear through the wall where a secretary was working in the next room and I said, is that a typewriter? Do I hear a typewriter? You young people can Google what this is later on. (laughs) I don't know when the last time is I've heard a typewriter. Uh, Well, remember one of the things we used to do when we had to make multiple copies in a typewriter, what would you use? You would get a carbon copy layered papers. Once in a while you see this now when somebody fills out a receipt by hand, right? And you buy something and they got a hand receipt and they've got a carbon copy. What is it? There's something underneath there, that blue stuff, carbon, I guess. And, and, and you write on it and the imprint bleeds through to the next paper and you have an exact replica of what you have on the top. And the carbon copy, you know, sometimes we want to save the original, but the carbon copy is an exact replica. That's what the idea is here of the son of El Elyon, the carbon copy, the exact replica, the imprint, the same. He's El Elion, even the demons know. And here we are, impressed with the selection at Michael's. And this is El Elion, the most high God, who is in the form of a fetus. So we're reminded of his humility. We're reminded of his identity and his name. And by his very name, we also are given a clue about his mission. Jesus saves. We're instructed about his deity here. He is El Elyon. He is God in the flesh. Finally, let's realize and recognize as the angel continues to describe this baby, we need to be impressed with the authority of Christ in this passage. The authority of Christ is seen. Back up in verse 32, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. He will be the son of El Elyon, a carbon copy. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. So he is he is, according to the prophets, he is genetically approved to sit on that throne. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that it would be a son of David. We'll look at that in a second. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. So you'll be a special king in Israel 
and of his kingdom also there will be no end. There's at least a reference there to the millennial kingdom that's coming and the eternal kingdom. This is El Elyon, son of El Elyon, who has a kingdom that will never end. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Handel used these words, didn't he, in his Messiah? Look what he says of this. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow. He's great. This baby's great. This is how he's great. He's the son of Elion. He is the descendant of David. He qualifies to sit on the throne. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. Ever, ever, ever. He's the king of an endless kingdom. He's a very most impressive baby. Let's remind ourselves of the prophetic fulfillment here. And we have just enough time to look in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You might write in the margin of your Bible next to verse 32 and 33. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. This is a direct reference to the Davidic covenant. We call it the Davidic covenant. It is an agreement, a covenant, a promise that God made through the prophet Nathan to David. Okay? And it is very interesting. Let's go to 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. So 2 Samuel chapter 7. And let's pick it up with verse 12. 2 Samuel 7, 12. And Nathan, speaking the words of God to David, tells him, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that's a euphemism for you're going to die and your time is up. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, look what he promises. This is what God is promising King David. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. So they will be a genetic descendant of King David. And I will establish his kingdom. Who is the next king after David? Solomon. So that's true, right? It was true immediately. But... I want you to see something else. He shall build a house for my name. Who did that? Solomon. Solomon's temple. He shall build a house for my name. And I will. Now, all of a sudden, the language kind of gets woo. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So you get the idea. And David's going to understand this as well, that God is there. This is a loaded statement. This is more than just talking about Solomon next in line, that there is some prophecy going on here. I will be to him a father and he shall be to him to me a son So the second member of the Godhead becomes the Son. The first member of the Godhead is God the Father. And I will establish this. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity... Now, wait a minute. Solomon definitely sinned, right? And he turned his heart away from the Lord through his sin. Did If this is prophetic, did Jesus ever commit sin? But did he become sin? And in essence, it's a way of saying, oh, and, when, and when he commits sin, so when Jesus hung on the cross and, and 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he became sin for us who knew no sin, it was in the mind of the Father as though he did all the sin. Look what he says here. And, and when he commits iniquity or becomes responsible as though he committed all the iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men. 
Was Jesus beaten with rods? Indeed he was. And the stripes, Isaiah prophesied, didn't he? By his stripes, the literal beating of the whips, the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. And as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever and ever before me. Your throne shall be established forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't you see it there? Clearly, there's a dual meaning here. Clearly, this is this Davidic covenant is talking specifically about Jesus, son of David. And in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now, look at the next two verses really quick. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? See, David is he knows God has just said something more than, well, Solomon's going to be a really big, cool king, too. And yet this was a small thing in your eyes. Oh, Lord God, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come forever and ever. David is recognizing before the Lord that that was a prophetic statement that was being made. I really believe that. Back to Luke chapter one. So we wrap up our thinking. So what do we have here? We have the prophetic fulfillment of the son of David who will sit on the throne of David forever and ever. He is none other than the son of El Elyon, the great high king. And he's his son, and he's now in the form of a fetus, and he's going to be born, and he's going to fulfill all of this. And to his kingdom, there will be no end. This is where we could turn back to Philippians chapter 2, couldn't we? And what does he say there about this king and in this kingdom? And every... Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that who will you say it? That Jesus, El Elyon, the carbon copy of the Most High God, the one who is equal with him. He will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. Is there really anything you need at Michael's? Say no. Say no. If you do, Janet will be happy to go for you. She loves that store. So we see his humility and we model ourselves after it. We understand his identity and in his very name, his mission is foretold. The savior of the world. We recognize his deity. He's El Elyon, the most high God. And we see and recognize his authority El Elyon, the carbon copy who has a kingdom that will never end. So this Christmas is a great time to do what? Number one, it's a great time to confess with your mouth, isn't it? Isn't that what Paul said in Romans chapter 10 about the essence of our very salvation? That if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, he's God, he's El Elyon, he's the forever king, he's the master of the universe. That if you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead and confess, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be what? Saved. And Yahweh saves. Jesus saves, my friend. It's what the whole matter is about. That you recognize the gift that God gives is Jesus. To save us from our sin. Have you confessed with your mouth? 
How about bending the knee? How about, how about taking the spheres of our kingdoms, the kingdom of my financial world, the kingdom of my, my, my career goals, the kingdom of my love life, the kingdom of my imagination, the kingdom of my heart, the, the kingdom, the kingdom. We all have little kingdoms, don't we? Wouldn't it make sense based on this reality that our kingdom should surrender to the, to the king of all kings? To El Elion, who has, he's the forever king in the forever kingdom. Why would I fool around with my little kingdoms? Wouldn't I come in under his king, under my king Jesus, and surrender my life to him this Christmas? So make him your savior this Christmas, and, and then make him king of your life, believers in Christ. Quit fooling around with all the trappings and the junk that doesn't matter. And, and let's, let's see Jesus Christ lifted up in a whole new way. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Father, uh, please help us um, that we would keep our focus on this forever king, El Elion's son. That, that every knee here and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to your glory and that this Christmas would be filled with praise and worship to El Elion the forever king, the master of the universe, the one that even the demons recognized was above all. Father, forgive us for how easily distracted we are and for all of the silly things we build into our lives to make it feel a lot and look a lot like Christmas. May we just see Jesus high and lifted up in all of his glory. And may he be Lord of our lives. It's in his name we ask this. Amen.